Good morning, everybody. It is so, so, so good to be with you today. How are you? Isn't that a great video? You know, one of the days is um, I'm, I'm praying. I see it in my mind's eye. I see it somewhere within my spirit is that instead of sending boxes, we'll be sending uh, missionaries, some of us to go and actually deliver the boxes, actually give them whatever it is that we have in our hearts to share with people across this world, that we might uh, share the wonders of this Lord, of our Lord that we love so, so much. And so it, it is my deepest prayer that we will have that opportunity in the future. Um, I'm praying. I'm praying hard for us as a body of believers. Would you please do me a favor? Would you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3? We're just going to look at one verse, but I think you're going to see after today's message that one verse is more than enough. In fact, we could spend months on this one verse. While I was studying this particular week, um, it came to my mind, um, just this whole idea of truth. We talked about uh, the very essence of what truth is, that, that Paul wanted to remind Timothy to, to help the people to stop drifting away from their faith, to to hold fast to what they believe in, not to lose their joy. If you remember in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14, Paul says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. Well, the commentators were not sure that Paul ever got back to Ephesus. But he says in verse 15, In case I am delayed, I write so that you might know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and the support of the truth. And I thought about truth, and, and I was, I don't know what made me think about it, but I, I was reflecting upon Nehemiah. I studied Nehemiah years ago, and, and taught it years ago. And, and Nehemiah, when he was rebuilding the wall, he had just a passion to build this wall. And he was successful at it. There came a time when all the people gathered together, and they were going to pray, and hear the word of God, and they called not Nehemiah, but they called for Ezra. And I went back into the book of Ezra when I was studying Nehemiah, and I wanted to find out what was so special that they called Ezra, the scribe, to come and to read the Word of God. Why, why not Nehemiah? Nehemiah had a passion for those people. He had a passion for that wall they were building. And I came to a verse in, in, in Ezra. It's the 7th chapter, the 10th verse. You really don't need to turn to it. But it is, it is a, a, a telling verse of why Ezra was such a special man. Why he was called to pray over this wall and to read the, the Bible, read the Word of God to the people. It says in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 that Ezra had set his heart. That, that is enough. That in, its, in itself, that is enough. Ezra had set his heart. How long has it been that you and I have set our hearts to, to do something, to do whatever it is unto the Lord? How long has it been since we've been a people that have set our hearts upon the things of God? How long has it been that, that your joy was so overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ that you could hardly contain yourself? Ezra had set his heart to do three things, it said in that verse. To, to study the law of the Lord, and then to practice it, and then to teach it. I love the order that that was brought up. I, in my Bible, I have it 
underlined and I have a statement beside it, that's the way it's supposed to be done. Most people study, teach, and then maybe practice. But what made Ezra so special was that he studied the Word of God, then he practiced it before he taught it. He lived it out, in other words. He had set his heart on the things of God. Well, as we go back and we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, the, we, we have learned that the Word of God is, is a vast, inexhaustible storehouse of truth. It is truth, both worldly truth as well as spiritual truth. And, and if you and I are not careful, we can get lost in the, the depth of it all. We, we study here as, faithful as we, faithfully as we know how. But sometimes we can get, we can get lost in what we are studying. And we can drift away and we can perhaps lose our joy. We need to be like Ezra. We need to set our hearts to become a people who are dedicated to study and to practice God's Word. And when needed, to teach it to our family, our friends, our loved ones, to teach the things that we have learned. So what Paul does here to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus and to us as he takes us back to the basics. In one very simple but profound verse, verse 16, and out of all of this truth, Paul tells us what is most essential for us to uphold and to proclaim. In verse 16, we find the message of Jesus Christ. We find the very core of what we are to study, what we are to obey, what we are to practice, what we are to teach. And it is all wrapped up into a word that is called truth. Read with me just one verse, verse 16. And let's break it down and understand what Paul is saying. Verse 16, he says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Father, this mystery of godliness is, has been proclaimed to us in this day and age in which we live. What was a mystery before the church was formed is now revealed, revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ, in Him we see all the things that, that can set us free to become a people that You have called us to become. Oh Lord God, would You please open our eyes so that we might behold these wonders. Teach us, Father, so that we might be a people who, who comp comprehend the wonders of the, of the basics of our faith and that we can become just lost in the wonders of who you are. Oh, move me aside, please, Father. Allow us to concentrate this moment in time, these, these next 30 minutes. Concentrate our lives and our hearts upon the words that you have, you have set aside for us at this time, this day. September the 26th, dear Father, the year 2010, at 9 o'clock in the morning, you have 
you have made this day for each of us that we might hear your word. Teach us, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. In this verse are, are six things th- seen. Jesus Christ was revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated in the Spirit. He was seen by angels and proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And sixthly, he was taken up into glory. Jesus Christ himself made this statement concerning himself. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. If you wish, you can turn there, please. If not, just listen. Jesus says concerning himself, This is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Well, if you recall, it was in Jerusalem that that Peter preached that first message on on, on the day of Pentecost. And and some 3,000 people responded to the message of Jesus Christ and believed in Him, and there the church began. It started, as Jesus Christ said, beginning from Jerusalem. I want you to, to read the words that Peter said We heard what Jesus said. Now, would you turn back to Acts, Acts chapter 10. Please hold your place in uh, Timothy and look with me at Acts chapter 10. I want to read a few verses so we might listen to what Peter said concerning this one called the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Peter says in chapter 10, starting with, let's start... uh, Let's start with verse 34. It says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcomed. Peter was was confronted with the fact that Gentiles as well as Jews could come to trust and believe in this one called Jesus Christ. Verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching Peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Verse 37, he says, You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. In verse 38, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Then he says, they put him also to death by hanging him on a cross. Verse 40, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He ordered us, he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. Of him, 
of Jesus Christ, all the prophets bear witness that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin. That's the one that, that is proclaimed here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We heard what Jesus said about Himself. We, we, heard, we just read what Peter said. Listen, listen to what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said the central theme of his life was, he says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, without a doubt, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In essence, folks, that, that's my call in life. With, with all of my heart, what I want from, for all of us is that we would know and understand this one called Jesus. This one called Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that you and I might have such deep-rooted faith in Him that nothing, no one could shake us from what we believe. Which leads us back, please, to what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, and he begins by, seven, by saying, this is a common confession. By common confession, the word common confession in the Greek is H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. -O -O. It, it means to say the same thing. Paul is saying that this is the truth. This is the truth upon which everyone should say the same. Secondly, he says in verse 16, talking about the common confession, which is the mystery of godliness. This is a statement about our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the mystery of godliness. And the mystery is this. Six things written. Revealed he was in the flesh. He was vindicated or that means to be justified or called, considered righteous in the Spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Let's, let's take a look at each one. These six lines explain the mystery of godliness. It shows Jesus Christ as both God and man. Note, it says He was Revealed in the flesh, that's his manhood, but he was vindicated or, or declared righteous in the Spirit. That's his deity. It was also a comparison between the angels and mankind. It says, seen by the angels and proclaimed among the nations. In other words, from man to man. It also is a comparison between the world and glory, or, or in other words, heaven and earth. Look what it says, the last two. Believed on in the world, that's the earth, taken up in glory, that's to heaven itself. And so let's take a look at these six things. They'll tell you everything you need to know about your faith. First, we see that Jesus Christ was revealed in the flesh. The word revealed is P-H-A-N-E-R-O-O. -O. It, it means to make visible. Revealed. In Scripture, we saw that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to show it to you 
So hold your place here and turn with me to John. It's to the left. You'll go past Acts where we just were and you'll, the next book would be John. And, and stop it at chapter 8, please. In John chapter 8, where do I begin? Let's, let's start at verse 51. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. What a statement. What a statement. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Well, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets died. And you say, if anyone keeps your word, they'll never taste death? Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be, they asked him in verse 53. In verse 54, Jesus Christ answered them and said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And then Jesus Christ rattles their cages, so to speak. He says in verse 55, And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I shall be a liar, just like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word then he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus Christ says in verse 58, I tell you this, he says, Truly, truly, I, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am in verse 59, we see what, what took place. They, they picked up stones to throw at Jesus Christ, but he, he hid himself and went out of the temple. I want you to turn with me just to the right, to chapter 10 of John. I want to show you what they and why they were throwing these stones or wanted to throw these stones at him. In chapter 10, let's look at, let's just start at verse 25. No, let's start at verse 24. The Jews gathered around him and they were saying to him, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and said, I, I've told you. And you do not believe the, the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he says, I give eternal life to them. They'll never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's, it's, it's like this. It's, 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 it's like this is us. This piece of cardboard paper. And it's like Jesus Christ says, I have you in my hand. And you will never perish because no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand. But then he says, and my Father who is greater than all. He too has, has you in His hand and no one will be able to snatch you out of His hand. It's, it's like the security of who you are in Christ. And then Jesus Christ made, 
mentions these words in verse 30. I and the Father are one. Now we see again in verse 31, they take up stones again to stone him. And Jesus stopped them. And he asked them in verse 32, I showed you many good works from the Father. From which one of them, which one of the works that I have done are you going to stone me? They answered him and said in verse 33, For good works we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Here's the rub, folks. But because you, being a man, have just made yourself out to be God. Listen, you have to have an agenda to miss who Jesus Christ is. To not understand that he is God of very God is is to not read the Word of God, or if you do read the Word of God, to have a, a, a personal agenda that you want that keeps you away from accepting the fact that Jesus is the very God of God of this universe. He is God Almighty, Yahweh. Now look at John chapter 14 for a moment, please. Remember, I started this off by saying that Jesus Christ had said in 1 Timothy chapter 3.16 that he was revealed in the flesh. And I said the word revealed there means to make visible. In John chapter 14 and verses 8 and 9, Philip said to Jesus Christ. Now Philip was a mild-mannered man. He was, he was a wonderful man. He was a wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. He meant no disrespect by asking Jesus, show us the Father, he says, and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long with you, and you yet have not come to know me, Philip? And then he makes these words, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You see, Jesus Christ allowed the disciples to see the invisible God with their human eyes. Now look at John chapter 20, one of my favorite places in all of Scripture. In John chapter 20, you know the story. The disciples are up in, up in an upper room, and, and the doors are locked, and everything's shut and closed, and they're up there, and all of a sudden, into the room walks Jesus Christ. This was right after his his resurrection from the dead, after they had nailed him to the cross. He walks into the room and he shows them his, his, his arms, his wrists, and he shows them his side, and he rejoices with them. Now, he then leaves, and the next thing we see is, is Thomas comes into the room, and, and the disciples said, Thomas, Tom, you missed it. You missed it. Jesus was here. And you remember what Thomas said, don't you? Thomas said, look, I, I'm sorry, you guys. I can't, I'm, I'm not buying into this anymore. It's, it's, it's too much for me, and I, I'm just not going to believe. Unless, he says, unless I can put my fingers into his, his wound on his wrist, unless I can put my, my hand into his side, then I'll believe. In John chapter 20, Jesus Christ, it says in verse 26, after eight days, the disciples were inside this room and Thomas was now with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut. He just came through whatever all, none of that was, was, was a care to Jesus. He stood in their midst and he said, peace be with you. 
And then in verse 27, he said to Thomas, reach here your finger. See my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus Christ uttered words that that are, are a part of your life and my life. He allowed us to, for a moment in time, see the invisible God. He revealed himself to us. Now, you and I have never seen him. I'll grant you that. But look what Jesus says after Thomas says, My Lord and my God. The next verse, in in, in verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they, blessed are those people at the Rock Community Church in Yorba Linda who have never seen me and yet believe. You fall into that category. Never having seen him and yet believed. Jesus Christ was revealed in the flesh. Jesus Christ allowed the world to see the invisible God. And for those of us who did not see him and yet still believe, we are blessed. Secondly, please. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus Christ also was vindicated in the Spirit. The word vindicated is D-I-K-A-I-O-O. It, it simply means to be justified or to be declared righteous. When the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am what? Well pleased. Why well pleased? Well, because He was righteous. He was justified. Paul tells us why in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, He, God, made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Folks, the righteousness that you and I have has been given to us only because of the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And we receive that righteousness only through faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that is a decision that each of us must make individually. You can come to church for a million years and you'll never be righteous until you accept The payment that Jesus Christ made upon the cross for yours and my, for our sin. Thirdly, Jesus Christ was also beheld by the angels. The word beheld is in the Greek, H-O-R-A-O. It means, well, it means a number of things. It means to see. It also means to visit. It means to observe or to be attended to. Throughout our Lord's ministry on earth, the angels observed and attended to Him. They were with Him at the beginning of His life, and they were there at the end. They were there when He was born, and they announced His birth to Joseph, His father, and to the shepherds who were in the field. They then ministered to Jesus Christ at the temptation in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when He prayed and agonized, agonized so much that it says that He, he actually Sweat, drops of blood. We were also there at his death. The angels were 
And they were there at his resurrection. And not only did the good angels see him, but also those who were called the fallen angels. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18, 19, and the first part of verse 20, he describes the event. It says, Christ died for our sins once and for all. The just, Jesus Christ, for the unjust, you and me. So that he might bring us, the unjust, to God, having been put to death in the flesh, that's in his manhood, but being made alive in the spirit, that's in his deity. Then in verse 19 it says, In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits. That's the fallen angels who are now in prison, it says, who once were disobedient. That's Satan and his demons. Jesus Christ was beheld by the angels. Fourthly, he was also proclaimed among the nations. Before his ascension, before Jesus Christ went up to be in heaven itself, he commanded the disciples. He said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, I want you to go, therefore, he says, and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus Christ, you, talking to the disciples, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and even, he says, to the remotest parts of this earth. There was to be no nation left without the gospel message proclaimed. Everyone on this earth was to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the whole world. And to reject that message means that you have an agenda on your own. It means that you either reject religion or you reject the very form of of what God wants to do in your life. It means that you reject the very possibility of heaven itself. And for what reason? I don't know. I know for myself, I can still remember, I put off accepting Christ because I was afraid that I was going to have to stop living like I was living. I enjoyed my life. I've often said that that, that people that preached, oh, sin is terrible, it's no good. They, they should have lived with me in Hawaii. Sin was fun. But it took you to death only. And once I got that agenda out of my heart and wanted to accept Christ, I understood then and there what it meant to have the forgiveness of sin that the just Jesus Christ died for the unjust me. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but, but have everlasting life. And again in 1 John 2.2 it says, He himself, Jesus, is the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Not not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He was proclaimed among the nations. And fifthly, he was believed on in the world. 
The plan of God was fulfilled at the Apostles' Proclamation on Pentecostal, on, on the day of Pentecost, which resulted in the saving faith of some 3,000 people. That was in Jerusalem. Following that, the gospel was preached in Judea. Then it went to Samaria. Then it went to, by Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch on his way to Ethiopia. Then it went to Cornelius, a Gentile. And ultimately it went across the whole Gentile world by Paul and his associates. Us. We are his associates. We're to take the message of God and was take it to believe on in the whole world so that everybody, everyone might have an opportunity to accept our Savior and have their sins forgiven. And finally, in verse 16, Jesus Christ was taken up in glory. Acts chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11 tell us this, this event. It, it is real to me. Let, me. let me share to you. No, I've never seen Jesus taken up in his glory. But let me share with you the reality of this event. It says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, after he has told these things to the disciples, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. It says in verse 10, they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. I don't know how many years ago, it was in Vero Beach, Florida. I was in spring training with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and we were having practice on the field, and, and, and Cape Kennedy was some miles away from us. It was a very beautiful, clear day, and we all knew the, the rumor, not the rumor, the, the, the word is there was going to be a rocket that was going to take off. It was way back when they, they, they didn't send off very many rockets, and it was a big, big deal. It was like traffic upon traffic. Everybody was traveling to see this event in, in Cape Kennedy, I guess it's called. And all of a sudden, we were in the field. I don't know what we were doing at the time. I think it was batting practice, but someone said, look. And they pointed off in the distance, and you could see, honestly, you could see as, as clear as a, oh, I don't know what clear as could be, this big, white, big, massive, um, like a lightning or whatever, you know, what? The rockets. You could see it. You could see it clear. What is it? Huh? The flame of it. And you could see this rocket going up in the air. And practice stopped. Everybody was just gazing in, and, and, you, and you were just looking and looking and looking, and, and, and you know, it would go away for a moment, but then you could see it again, and it was, it was amazing, and you just kept gazing into the sky. And it would go away, and then, and then you could see it again. So this, is, this makes sense to me. I, I get it. I saw that event that many years ago. And it says, while they were gazing in the sky, two men in white clothing angels stood beside them and said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, this, this one who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Do you look forward to his coming back? I do. I really look forward to that event. Jesus' ascension into heaven showed that God the Father was well pleased with His Son. He accepted His life. He accepted His death. He accepted 
his sacrifice and accepted the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. And in six short stanzas of this verse, in, in, in 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul summarizes the gospel as clearly as you and I will ever hear it. We recognize that God became man and made himself visible amongst us. We recognize that he died for our sins and that he triumphed over death and was honored by the angels and feared by the demons. And ultimately, we recognize that he ascended into heaven. This message has been preached all over the world. And many, many believed and were saved. What about you? How long has it been since you have been overjoyed with your, with your salvation? If someone were to come to you right now and say, Are you a believer? Have you trusted in Christ? One of the saddest things I think a person can say at this moment in time was, I, Boy, I hope so. Or I think I am, yes, I think so. Salvation isn't a hope for, it's not an I think so time. It, it, it is a, the certainty. This is September the 26th. The year is 2010. In my Bible, in the back, if you ever asked me, and I would show you, in the back flap, I have certain very important dates written down. One of them is, I came to Jesus Christ on March the 12th, 1973, 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Honolulu, Hawaii. I wrote that down there so that the times when I feel like I'm just not a believer, you know? I mean, you know sin, how it, maybe you don't know, but sin, how it kind of gets you down and, and gets you to thinking maybe, gosh, if... How could I be a believer if I, I keep sinning like this? How can I be a, how can I be a man of God? I, I go back to my Bible and I see, yeah, I am. Now I better start acting like it. I accepted the Lord on March the 12th, 1973, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is not a time or a place for you to think that you're a believer. This is not a time nor a place for you to hope that you're a believer. Put aside every other date and mark in your own heart if you're not certain. September the 26th, 9.30 in the morning on the year 2010 that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior so that you'll never have to wonder again. For those of us here who know we've accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord, we know that we walked with Him. We, we know we've asked Him into our hearts. But maybe we're not living like it right now. Maybe we're just not, not, we're just not hitting on every cylinder, so to speak. Maybe you have to take a moment right now and ask God to forgive you of that. Whatever it is. Christian, how long has it been since you and I have been like that little boy we saw on that screen? 
How long has it been that you have rejoiced that much over your faith? We ought to, you know. We have been given the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. That is eternal life. And some of us have really become blasé about it. When I saw that little boy jumping around over that little gift, I thought to myself, oh, man, I've received the greatest gift that it could ever been given to anyone, and when have I ever jumped around with that much joy over my salvation? Would you mind dimming the lights for just a second or two? I don't... I'm not going to necessarily ask you to come forward. You can. Some people did last night. But that's kind of between you and the Lord. But I am going to ask you to consider the most important question that anyone will ever ask you. And I have the privilege right now of asking you it. Do you know for certain that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have to say, I hope so, or I think so, maybe... Put, it, put that aside. Don't ever say that again. Mark it down, maybe in your Bible, on this, September the 26th, the year 2010, at, at 9.30 in the morning, I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of my sin. And if you wish to, to talk to any of us, we'd love to try to help you to walk this new walk in Christ. For the rest of us, I'd love for you and me to walk out of here today fully assured that, that our sins have been forgiven, that we could have the joy like that little kid, that we could know that what we have, this eternal life, is a gift beyond any gift that we'll ever receive. Let's not mess with it. Let's walk in righteousness. We confess our sins we are told he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so for a couple minutes, we'll just, I'll just be quiet and I'll close us in prayer. gracious Father who is in heaven and we say hallowed hallowed be your name may your kingdom come may your will be done on this earth through our lives as it is in heaven Father may we bless you today Thank you for what your Son has done for each of us. Thank you that just through faith 
asking Christ into our hearts, asking him to forgive us our sin, we become new creatures. And the journey for the some that make that profession of their faith has just begun. And for those of us who have made that, that commitment, we can tell them clearly sometimes it's not as easy as it appears. That's why our Lord has given us 1 John 1, 9, so that if we confess our sin, even as believers, He would cleanse us over and over and over and over again. Lord, bless this day for those that made a decision for you. Bless them mightily, Father. And thank you for the privilege of gathering together in this place at this time, this September the 26th, the year 2010. Father, we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. I love you so much. I'll see you next week. Have a good day.